Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Regenerative by Design podcast, where we will be getting to the root of health, climate, economics, and food. I am your host, Joni Kinwell-Moore. I'm an RN, an ethnobotanist, and the founder of Snacktivist Foods. Join me on this journey as we explore the ideas, stories, and personalities behind the regenerative food system movement. Food is the connection between people and planet. In a world where pandemics, climate change, and war have made us feel so disconnected and vulnerable, regenerative agriculture has become a powerful force for positive transformation and hope. Here, regenerative thought leaders share how agriculture and food design can create a more resilient system. Okay, hello everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the Regenerative by Design podcast. I'm Joni, your host, and today we have a an awesome guest coming to us, Erin Martin from Oklahoma. So welcome, Erin. Thank you so much for having me, Joni. Yeah, I'm so excited to actually learn more about your projects today because I've definitely been friends with you via like LinkedIn and other kind of community platforms for quite some time. And it's always fun when you have an excuse to get to know someone a little bit better and then actually record it so we can take this meaning and <laughs> right. then, like take all this meaningful conversation forward. It's honestly one of the reasons why I was like, I have to start a podcast because I would meet these people. They were so fascinating. We would talk about the coolest stuff in like a quick hour and then it was gone. I mean, it right. wasn't gone because it kind of lives on with us. But I was always regretful that we didn't didn't record it to share because sometimes it was revolutionizing. So mm. I'm super stoked you're here today and I'm excited to learn more about what you do. I figured we could kind of focus our conversation around the topic of food, soil and healthy aging, which seems appropriate to what your focus is. And to kick it off, I'd love you to tell our audience and and me, a little bit about your background. We're like, where did you grow up? What did you study? What's been your career path? And then what are you working on today? My journey started when I was 15 years old. I started working in a retirement community for 55 and older. I was a dishwasher and a server in the kitchen. And I was promoted and worked at the front desk. And I was emergency response to 135 residents from 4 p.m. till midnight um, in my ten- teenage years, from when I was 15 till I was 19. And there, that was the first time I really started falling lo- in love with older people and the wisdom of older people, uh, the no, f- no BS filter of older people, and really fell in love with that and knew it was really the only thing I ever remembered loving so much. And so I worked Worked in housing and apartments and did some management type things. But when I was looking for a master's program, I knew that I really wanted to go into something really meaningful. And my father suggested that I go into gerontology. And I said, Dad, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not even a degree. Like, where would you even get a gerontology degree? And I had actually, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, But I had moved out to California to just get out and experience new things. And I was living in my friend's living room temporarily in Los Angeles and searching for the future and what my career would look like. And I searched on Google. And of course, the number one school of gerontology in the world was at USC, 10 miles away from my apartment. So I went there and they had a great business track for business working people 
to mm-hmm. really focus on aging services management. And there we were really taught the physiological changes of aging, the psychological changes of aging, very social work, work based, but very focused on what real aging is and what are yeah. the myth the myths about aging. And so yeah. it was through that lens that I realized that we are not aging well. And why was that? And why is that? And why are people aging better in other countries? And so I traveled to Italy with USC. I was working as a director of social services over seven affordable housing sites for seniors. So I was seeing clients on 15 to 32 prescription drugs. And I saw what food the food Mm -hmm. bank was providing. And I saw what healthcare looked like whether you want to call it healthcare or not. And I saw what the insurance was and wasn't paying for. Yeah. And I still didn't know. I knew at that time that food should be medicine. And then it wasn't until I actually got connected through something I thought was unrelated with Kiss the Ground. And I went through their soil advocacy program and I learned the soil science of regenerative farming And they're Mm -hmm. connected that directly to aging and longevity and quality of life and all of the things that I've been trained on. And so that's kind of how I landed in this agricultural space to begin with. Very cool. I love that. How did you find Kiss the Ground in the first place? I it's kind of full circle around because John Rulak has joined us. We've had Ray Arcoletta on the show. So Kiss the Ground is near and dear to our heart here for sure. Yeah. Uh, like how, how, did you, how did you connect with them? So my boyfriend at the time in Los Angeles, his ex-wife was the executive director of Kiss the Ground. Um, no so, kidding. Yep. So Small she, world. I was co-momming with her, with their son, yeah. and we had him half the time. She had him half the time. And I really admired her. I admired yeah. her work. Um, uh, Lauren Tucker is her name. Yeah, and, Lauren's really cool. Uh, yeah. I, know I just too. was fascinated with her work and admired her, but really didn't know like it had anything to do with me or my work. And yeah. I just asked her if I could just go into the soil advocacy program out of curiosity. And she, How cool. she you know, referred me in there. And then, of course, Finian trained me. And by, yeah. you know, just a, a week in, my all these light bulbs are going off. And I thought, well, really to advocate for people's health and wellness and aging successfully, I have to advocate for the soil. Like, there's no question yes. now that I full, it just came full circle. And now <laughs> I'm speaking at all these agricultural conferences, which just blows my mind. But I think that was this bridge that is built from healthcare to agriculture and public yeah. health is agriculture. And the fact that people in healthcare and in gerontology and long-term care don't know that they don't, that's not something that's on the forefront of their minds. It's, it's something I want to change. Yeah. It's a fundamental disconnect that drives dysfunction on both sides. And, you know, in our current more reductionistic model, we, we see them as all separate in silos, but Mm -hmm. you literally cannot fix healthcare without fixing agriculture. You cannot fix rural economics without fixing agriculture and healthcare. (laughs) Like it's like all these things like play together. You can't fix climate in a vacuum. You have to focus on agriculture. Like all these things hinge together and agriculture really is kind of like the, the human connection point to planet and like, in, in like the planet as it functions as an ecosystem, it's like that biological touch point. Food is where we commune with nature. And so it, I, 
100% agree with you. And I love how you came to it from a different angle. <laughs> I've, I've wanted to hear this story. I'm excited we're recording it because I think other, it'll resonate with other people as well that aren't coming from farming or aren't coming from that that side of the sector that is connected to food. And that's a really important thing that we need to get out there is like everybody has a place in making this new regenerative world come to life. It's such a ripple effect. And that's what mm-hmm. gave me hope for the future for the first time was when yeah. going through that Kiss the Ground program, I thought, wow, there is actually a solution that could work and work actually fairly quickly um, in mm-hmm. respect to how how long it took us to ruin the system. So I felt hope for the future for the first time and there was an actual solution there's a lot of logistics and a lot of work that would go into to the solution, but it, it gave mm-hmm. me hope for the first time uh, for for myself and for people I love to to have access to food and to age more successfully. And you're mm-hmm. right. It has this giant ripple effect for rural communities, for local economy, uh, for quality of life, for socialization. I mean, it, the yeah. list just goes on and on and on and on. Yeah, it really does. And you know, because people who aren't working in the space, sometimes they're like, wow, why the urgency? Why the obsession? Why the passion? And you're like, if you felt like you'd stumbled across a, a, like a secret that could affect so many huge things that, um, you know, make or break humanity, like you'd be excited too. And right. it is a really cool place. It's a really cool place to be working. Um, I have to say it's really exciting and very, very hopeful every day. Um, and I, I am really thrilled to meet another person that's passionate about working with um, gerontology and I because I was an RN. And so I spent a lot of obviously you can't be in nursing unless you're in pediatrics. You are by default working with senior citizens and working you know through that spectrum of aging and chronic disease and whatnot. And, you know, for me coming into food as a sector, because I came from the health sciences and the hard sciences that was my entry point was like, okay, until we fix food and fix agriculture, everything I'm doing here in the ICU, I mean, fit 60% of the time is kind of a, it's, a it's kind of an exercise in futility. It's, it's a right. bandaid to, we should be keeping people out of the ICU. And that way the ICU is reserved for trauma and accidents right. and the, right. Oh crap. Like moments, <laughs> not, not like creating, treating long-term term debilitative disease that's caused from diet. I mean, it's right. crazy. It's a trillion dollar industry. So right. um, I'm sure you see a lot on the senior side of things and the frustrations that people are up against as far as accessing healthy food. And I know that you spend a lot of time in the advocacy piece. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that with your current projects. Yeah, the current project is really exciting. And I sort of fell into that too. But I knew at the time I moved back to Oklahoma because I really felt like it was an area that really needed some of the things that I had learned out in California. And California is, you know, pretty healthy in a lot of ways, a lot of access, a lot of great Mm -hmm. programs. And I felt like, you know, I wanted to bring all that knowledge back to my community. And for a while, I was just speaking publicly, having little kind of health health and wellness events. And I'd bring other practitioners in. We'd talk about healthy living and make that accessible Mm -hmm. to the community. Well, when the pandemic hit, I couldn't speak publicly and do anything. Right. And so there and and obviously the pandemic really exposed the cracks that were already in our society and a lot of people were focused on food security and the fact that people didn't have access to food and so there were all these organizations where you could volunteer and help give out food 
all that mass produced food. And so I kind of looked at the landscape and tried to see what people were doing, what kind of gaps there were. And I joined the Tulsa Food Security Council and they had this subcommittee on a food prescription program. And there was a doctor that had come forward in North Tulsa. And just to give you a little bit of context on North Tulsa, there are five zip codes in the state of Oklahoma where most people are dying from diabetes. Three out of five of those zip codes are just in North Tulsa. It's been a food desert for a long time. They didn't have a grocery store for 14 years. And a lot of this isn't a lot of this. Yes. For 14 years did not have a grocery store. Uh, It's a it's a has it's a very underserved community, uh, Mm -hmm. predominantly, obviously, low income uh, people of color. And we have a history. We just celebrated or celebrated. I don't know if you can say, but in a centennial mark of the Tulsa race massacre that happened where Mm -hmm. we murdered 300 people. And we actually had the wealthiest black community in the 1920s in the entire nation here in Tulsa. We had black people living in mansions and owning banks. And, um, and so we'd really destroyed that and we kept redestroying it after they would try to rebuild. And so people have been very displaced in the North Tulsa area. So this was a focus during the pandemic, the protesting, uh, people really got involved in this area, looking at food insecurity and helping this underserved area. And so a doctor came forward and he said, you know, all my, all my patients with type two diabetes are compliant in their medications. They're compliant in their doctor's visits, but they still have uncontrolled diabetes and we cannot get our numbers down. Like this is crazy. And he understood, you know, what we all know as the social determinants of health, all the things that affect us outside of a clinic setting, transportation, relationships, mental health, all of these types of things and food, food security. And so they had built a committee to execute a food prescription program. They at the time were thinking about sourcing food from like the food bank or from Amazon or Walmart Um, And I was asked to fundraise and administrate this pilot program that started in Mm -hmm. July of 2021 because of my understanding and my background and my training with Kiss the Ground. I said, if you want me to do this, that's fine, but I'm only sourcing local and only regenerative food. And they said, there's no way you're going to be able to do that. And there's no way you're going to be able to do that year round. And I said, "Okay, well, I like a challenge. And yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, watch me. Let's try. But yeah. <laughs> and if we and me. if we can't, then we can build it. Like I mean, right. sometimes you just have to build the you parachute on the way to down. Build it. Right. Yeah. So we started <laughs> with 52 participants enrolled from the clinic. So the doctors literally prescribe this program. They get nice. food every two weeks, fruits and vegetables that are all locally grown every two weeks for 12 months. They get cooking classes and nutrition classes every month. And then every three months, they go to their regular doctor's visits and we track their A1C, their blood pressure, and their weight. In the first year, we saw incredible things. We not only stimulated local agriculture and supported farmers with technical assistance, getting them funded for hoop houses, helping them expand. We also saw incredible health outcomes And after Mm -hmm. 12 months, 40 out of 52 people graduated, which was an incredible retention rate, especially when you're in a community that is riddled with trauma. You have most of these people. Most of these people are older adults who are raising their grandchildren. We had people, we had some people's grandchildren get shot during the program. I mean, they're dealing with severe trauma 
and still mm-hmm. showing up for this program. And wow. 30 out of 40 people had some type of reduction in their A1C level. Uh, they had a, uh, our goal was to reduce someone's A1C by one to 2% in the year. Mm-hmm. And the average reduction across those 30 people was 2.2%. Now to put wow. that, that doesn't sound like a lot, but they stopped. That is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And people, our biggest reduction was from a 14 to a 6.9 in six Holy months. Smokes. And people That's came incredible. off of, people came off of their That's insulin shots. It's absolutely life-changing. What people mm-hmm. don't understand is that you know, a, a reduction in an A1C of one to two percent can save in healthcare costs between sixteen to twenty-four thousand dollars per person per year. Yeah, and it only costs us about five grand to administrate, feed, and educate um, yeah. those individuals. So the ROI is huge, but it has a larger ripple effect into the community. And so we mm-hmm. were able to. To do that, and collectively, our cohort lost nearly 300 pounds. We had people happier, healthier. Uh, we yeah, do we track health. quality of life, mental health increase, like less yeah. anxious, less depressed, um, starting yeah. new relationships. I mean, there's just the rippled on and on and on. And so because we've been able to do that, um, our funders doubled and tripled their money. We are now enrolling 100 people in the program and have partnered cool. with six clinics and being yeah. asked to expand every which way. So that's what we're doing, prescribing regenerative local fruits and vegetables to people with chronic conditions. That's amazing. I love that. Um, and so right now you guys are mainly focused on the fresh fruits and vegetables component. Do you guys do teaching and advocacy for like the meats and proteins or like what grains and stuff like that? What do you guys do for the this cohort like pertaining to those other staple items? So the food prescription programs have been done, um, about 200 of them have been done, and we based ours off of a study that was done in in Pennsylvania, and really Mm -hmm. the intention of the program is to increase the consumption of fruits and vegetables. So the program is really only fruits and vegetables, Mm -hmm. um, and we do offer some legumes and rice and beans and some, some of those things sometimes. But predominantly, mm-hmm. it's just increasing. So we don't we don't really work with protein um, or dairy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we absolutely um, support and connect farmers to other resources and other outlets where they can sell those items. So we saw a big uh, gap in farmer support and that whole side of our of our world. And so we put together a monthly farmer committee and it doesn't have to be just fresh RX farmers. It can be any type of farmer uh, that has livestock or anything like that. And they get together and they kind of share best practices. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have gotten some of our farmers certified regeneratively through the Haney soil test through region ag lab and then soil region certifies them. Um, So we've done that process to know that our farmers are using those practices to regenerate their top soil and even beyond. And That's so amazing. we, we, we know that we want people to have access to better type of protein, uh, the challenges mm-hmm. in this area, whether they can afford it, but the, the prescription yeah. program is just fruits and vegetables. Well, that's a fantastic place to start for sure, because most people, um, in my experience as a, when I was a, a certified diabetic educator, for a few years, mostly in rural Montana and rural Alaska. So challenging areas and not because the 
you know, like being in an area that is like dangerous, um, but really that there's no stores around geographically, like getting to them or the quality of the fresh fruits and vegetables are so poor once they've traveled that far. Um, You know, and and it's really incredible when you do look at these population wide shifts and what it means for like quality of life, a um, but them getting down to the granular data of like, we feel like this has meaningfully impacted the trajectory of like chronic renal failure, kidney failure, which is a big deal because, you know, if you get the number one cause of chronic kidney failure is uncontrolled diabetes and the reality of what it takes for people to access the healthcare system once they've gone down that path is irreversible and long-term complicated it's it's a mess right. and very very and expensive. Really expensive and i think if if people understood from a macro system level like the burden of the healthcare system um to service this i mean it's fantastic that we have dialysis thank god it's a miracle it's an amazing thing but again you look at the population demographics at dialysis centers and like what portion of that population is there for diet related disease it's shocking to think that if these people would have really known that like, hey, we can prevent this. I bet they would have done everything in their power to do it if they, like at that point of their lives, they're like, oh my gosh, if we could have prevented this, we would have done everything in our power to do it, you know? And we find that people do want to do it, that they yeah. just don't feel empowered or given the tools or, don't have or the access. access. Yes. No, and there's, I hear, do- I, get do- I get doctors on both sides. We have champion doctors and there's doctors saying, oh, well, people don't want to change and they just want to pill. And that's actually not yeah. what I have found in this program. No. I've actually felt like, pe- I've seen people begging to be in this program and they're incredibly yeah. committed and incredibly engaged to change their lives. Yeah. And they're just now equipped to do so. I, I agree with you, Erin. I think um, I really push back on that sentiment that is often very pervasive in healthcare that it's like, Mm. well, there's no point. No one's going to invest in dietary changes. Just give them a pill because they really don't care. And I I just think that that's like a signal of a deeper sentiment that's really dysfunctional in medicine and in healthcare in general. And I I feel like we have to push back against that. I think if people start to have access to better quality foods and they start eating like that, there's a positive feedback mechanism that happens because they start feeling better. I mean, the effect of like high nutrition, um, nutritionally dense foods, like, like you start getting like your vitamin levels up and your mineral levels up. And suddenly you're like, wow, I woke up this morning. And I didn't feel horrible. Like yeah. that in itself is a positive reinforcement that yes. once people have that opportunity to have access to that, it's life changing. But I think a lot of people forget, and especially doctors, because they are in a position where they've never known, you know, a lot of, I mean, I have known doctors that grew up where they didn't have access to anything. And, um, but they're by and large, in my experience, the minority of people. And so I think they don't understand or fundamentally forget that not everybody can go to the grocery store and afford fresh apples. They're expensive. (laughs) Yeah. They (laughs) don't know the fresh fruits and vegetables are prohibitive, cost prohibitive to the average person. So yeah, they don't gotta know. get real about that. They haven't lived those lives, and they mm-hmm. and until you're actually embedded deep in the community and watch people on their daily lives and hear their feedback on what they yeah. need, you don't know. And that's that's a lot of the problem with policymaking, um, with even uh, grantors that are creating structure of this money. It's like 
you all actually don't you don't even haven't even been through the trauma these people have been in. You don't know what day to day is like. You don't know the thoughts that are running through their mind. You don't know how they're physically feeling. And you, yeah, you, it's there's a lot of ignorance and it takes a lot of educating uh, these people that are making these decisions on behalf of people that they can't even relate yeah. to. Um, and it's a constant um, educational experience for me to tell to convey these are the things we're hearing. This is the feedback mm-hmm. we're getting. This is the reality. And this mm-hmm. is how you need to structure and how you need to give us the money to put where it needs to go. Yeah. In, in, in a meaningful way, like the right. high impact, high ROI type of interventions. Because mm-hmm. if I look at a cohort of people that have lost weight, reduced A1C, um, a, 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 like across three quarters of the cohort, it plus to me, that's like, like given where our healthcare system's trajectory lies, to me, that is like very provocative data where it's like, okay, we know this is where we need to invest. And how interesting that with the regenerative angle, because I don't know if you guys have worked with, you know, Liz is amazing with her soil yes. um, program. I mean, she's really an incredible person. We need to get, we need to get her on the show here one of these yeah, days too, because I love her. And, um, but, you know, you look at that whole nutri- the nutritional spectrum in regeneratively grown produce as compared to stuff that's been grown across the country, you know, pit, you know, grown under extractive, super hardcore conventional, you know, heavy duty chemical intensive farming. So probably not as mineral, you know, definitely doesn't have the mineral levels, definitely doesn't have the phytonutrient levels, um, has probably sat in a cooler truck for several days and then sat at the store for several days more. You look at like, hey, you know, the driver of like I ate this broccoli, but I didn't get the bang for my buck because it wasn't grown regenerative. It wasn't local. It's not at its height of quality. So like you have two really interesting things going on here that are probably both contributing to the outcomes and hard to differentiate. Yes. People are always asking me this question. Like, do you think that your regenerative food is really improving these health outcomes yeah. And my argument is type of a meta-analysis and bringing across like multiple studies to make an assumption that, yes, obviously any fruits and vegetables, any increase, even yeah. conventional will make an impact. But yes. I argue that we have more exponential data um, and outcomes because we are more nutrient dense, which means people are more satiated, which means they won't mm-hmm. need to eat more. Also, we know that it tastes better because there's more nutrients in it, which means if it tastes good, they're going to be more likely to become acclimated to eating fruits and vegetables and to continue eating those fruits and vegetables. And that's my argument. And whether A1C is a good measure to really know, is that being impacted? Maybe that's not the direct measure, but it's impacting health as a whole, which is going to impact then indirectly and indirectly their A1C. So I do get some of those like, well, where's the data on that specific sourcing? Well, we know enough to make a reasonable meta-analysis across several data studies that show this is going to increase health outcomes quicker and better. And I would say more consistently and sustainably or regeneratively. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) totally. I mean, like you said, there's like a two for one benefit here that it's stimulating the local agricultural sector which impacts more people like beyond the ones just in these programs, you know, and helps like with soil health and all of the things that we know we need to do with massive soil revival across all our agricultural lands. So, 
Um, I, I, this is such a unique program and I'm, I'm loving, loving hearing about this because it's actually a lot more complex than I realized. So I'm, I'm <laughs> glad you're taking the time to, to share it with us. Now, you know, when you're working with seniors, it's so interesting to me because you think about, like, I, I always use my in-laws as kind of like a baseline. They're in their nineties. They're mm. in really good health given their age. Um, they grew up, they're children of the depression. They grew up in rural Montana and so like when they grew up, like their, their food was very simple, but it was more like land race variety driven. It was more grown in the backyard. Like right. they didn't have a lot of access to sugar. There was literally no processed foods, um, right. you know, cause they little, they grew up during world war two, um, right after following the depression. And, um, it's, it's a fascinating thing to think of that foundational nutrition that was put into their genetics at an early age mm-hmm. and their parents, like, you know, your mom has the egg that you become is in your mom's body, like right. that her whole lifetime before you're ever born. And you think about all the, you know, epigenetics and the metom- yes. metabolom- metabolomics. I always butcher that word, no matter how many times I say it. It's like one of those words. But like how that is all dictated by proper nutrition during right. childhood and and through the generations. And right. We're changing I'm generations. Sure, Absolutely. Yeah. And and working with seniors, I mean, you you get a really interesting um, view of people, like where they've come from, what has their dietary history been, how, Mm. what was their foundational nutrition during childhood and with the baby boomers entering our, um, you know, senior services sphere. 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every single day. Watch out. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's it's a thing. And their foundational nutrition is dramatically different than Mm. the greatest generation's foundational nutrition. Right. Yes. And how is that going to affect, you know, our access to healthcare and, and what can we do to correct it? I mean, it, it, that's, you know, can we nuke them with nutrition now? (laughs) Like, I don't know, but it's, it's kind of an interesting thought. And then bringing it back around to like, how do we apply what you've learned in your program to school lunch programs and and childhood nutrition access programs? Right. And that's the, that's the big thing is people are always saying, well, we need to bring up this new generation and we need to influence the kids because they're the next generation. And yes, absolutely. Amen. Mm-hmm. Agree with all of that. But if you don't change their parents' habits in the home, yeah. they're the ones purchasing food. So it really has to be a family unit. But child yeah. obesity is a huge concern for people and oh, yeah. for our communities. And so we have been asked to really look at how we can engage more with kiddos. We do have kiddos come help and volunteer so they get exposed to this food and can touch it and feel Mm -hmm. it and see it and wanting to involve them more in the actual growing process uh, for these participants so they get that influence and they also get this connection with older adults at the same time. But it's a a big concern and really it's got to be a whole community, a whole family, whole person- A focused mission. And, and that's what I love about regenerative agriculture because mm-hmm. it ripples into everything and as it should. Yeah, I a hundred percent. I, it is so important to look at any dietary change or any system change, like as like family unit focus. So you mentioned a lot of your cohort in these early programs have been um, grandparents who are raising kids. And you think about the effect of what that's going to be on those grandkids seeing grandma's mm-hmm. health be transformed right. through eating healthier foods and which is going to be definitely quite different than what other kids at school are experiencing. And 
hopefully that whole family unit can be a lifelong buy-in to a different way of approaching nutrition. Because, I mean, you you see enough people, you know, you'd think that watching your elders get sick and suffer from diet-related diseases yeah, would be, be enough, enough to motivate you. But it's, <laughs> yeah. but it's not. I mean, that's sometimes not. Sometimes yeah. not. People so, just think it's heredit- hereditary. Yeah, they, they just think, just accept oh, it. my parents yeah. had diabetes, so that's why I do. And it's like, well, yes. it can make you more susceptible for it, but it has to be triggered and turned on. And that's what Ex- I try to exactly. tell people. You can change your life. It doesn't matter what your hereditary history yep. is. And even with a diagnosis of prediabetes, I mean, there's so many great studies out there that have proven that if you can you know, intervene early with the right things and it is lifestyle driven that you can change the trajectory of that diagnosis. And I think that that is so empowering if more people knew that and like understood that they, the power is actually in their hands, even though it doesn't feel that way if you're up against financial stress and trauma and social stress. So that's where this whole regenerative picture comes into play and why I'm really passionate about like the concept of regenerative design. Like it's, it's literally a different way of thinking, like, mm-hmm. how do we shape policy? How do we shape our economics? How do we how do we intentionally manipulate markets so that they will drive regenerative processes rather than degenerative processes? We have to reward the right way somehow. Right. And so it's like, how do we figure out that model that, like, creates that flywheel effect that then we start perpetuating the right direction? That's right. That's the trick. <laughs> right. It goes it goes deeper. Like I feel like food is a great entry point for a regenerative style of living and aging. And it can raise your consciousness and change the cells in your body and it can benefit mm-hmm. the children that you have. And if you're modeling that, but there's so many other ways to regenerate above and beyond just food. And through different practices and spiritual practices and breath work and meditation and how that's mm-hmm. improved the brain. And yeah. these are all regenerative styles of, of living and aging and seeking treatment. I mean, I just had some really terrible neck pain and I didn't go and get a scan and get surgery. Like I went and saw my chiropractor and I had a cranial therapist and they mm-hmm. literally worked with me and it was fixed in a week. Um, And they helped me process the emotion attached to that. And so Mm -hmm. it's a whole new system of thinking about health and living and engaging and building community. And it's it's a holistic approach Mm -hmm. first. And it's good that we have, if you break your arm, you can go get it fixed. Like those are things we want to have. Emergency medicines should be emergency medicine, but it can all... We can all work together and engage in it in a more regenerative way. Yes, absolutely. I love that because I, I agree that it is a it's a fundamental shift in looking at the world. Mm-hmm. And when you're looking through a regenerative lens, suddenly a lot of the big things we're up against seem solvable. Um, like it seems like there's a there's a way, like there's a method to the madness that can be can be changed for the better. And and to me, I find that to be super hopeful. So you know, when you're looking at like, cause you're working in, in such community kind of intervention capacity, like what are the things that you see that are happening in your community aside from your projects that are helping to build this more regenerative model, like for Tulsa and for Oklahoma? There is a lot of really great things going on and you have to kind of turn over stones to know what's yeah. <laughs> going on. But, um, 
our conservation commission, our state state legislation, um, it's under the Department of Ag, our conservation commission, they are absolutely regeneratively focused. And so they're Their conference they had this year, I mean, they started off, what is regenerative agriculture? And they have uh, employees that are actually regenerative farmers. And so they help to provide that technical assistance. So they work with Fresh Rocks farmers and also any farmers across the state of Oklahoma, uh, more cover Mm -hmm. cropping, uh, more good soil testing. And now they're doing their testing through Region Ag Lab and so doing the Haney test and not mm-hmm. so much conventional style testing. So that's kind of happening at a statewide level. They did pass Great. a soil health bill this year. So they mm-hmm. got more funding for more staff for technical assistance and more money for cover cropping. So we're Great. really excited that that's happening at our state legislature. Really excited about that. Um, we also have in Tulsa, the Tulsa Urban Ag Coalition that I mentioned a little mm-hmm. bit before, We brought all of the organizations together that are working in the food scene, any type of organization from the food bank um, to any type of organization, even housing came uh, because they're looking at community gardens and things like that. And we address Mm -hmm. like, what are the priorities and how are we not going to recreate the wheel and just see what everyone else is doing? And we, Tulsa Urban Ag is open to all types of growers and farmers and food distributors, but we have an underlining, like our board's intention underlying is to move the needle to get people more regenerative and more locally sourced. So mm-hmm. it's not ex- it's not exclusive to people who are already regenerative. We know there's a spectrum and we've got to move the needle. Yeah. And so we have five subcommittees that focus on infrastructure, uh, supporting the farmers, um, engaging consumers with education, volunteerism, how people can help out. And that's something we're doing at a Tulsa level and really interested in expanding that to Oklahoma City. So I think there's a lot of beautiful, beautiful things going on that people who really get it. um, And then also just working with people on every end of the spectrum and having to, you know, people who are way over here, like maybe we can just get them to do one thing. And it's a it's a slow it's a slow process. It needs to go quickly. But uh yeah. We're, we're hopeful yeah. and, and, and we're glad we've got some really incredible things happening just in Oklahoma and we need it. We're, yeah, we, have, we are like the sickest in the country. One of the sickest. We have the worst nursing home care in the country. We have one of the mm-hmm. top um, uh, fatality rates for infants. And so mm-hmm. we have a lot of room for opportunity and growth. And that's why I wanted to come here and just really spread it like wildfire. That is awesome. I love it. What an inspiring mission. And to, you know, kind of like go out into the world, learn all this stuff, like that don't things that don't seem like they would necessarily be related, like soil health and regenerative ag, gerontology, and then boom, <laughs> now you've got like community action yeah. going that can impact <laughs> everything from mental health, which leads to de- decrease in opioid addiction, which is one of the leading causes of death. And like these things that no one thinks about and they're like, oh, what do we do? How do we solve this? I think if people realize that just really good foundational food and nutrition is one of the things that can solve like all the biggest things we're up against in the, in, right. in our nation, it would it would just change the way people looked at problems and shift right. our our focus to solutions. Because, you know, we can fix this. Like that's something that's doable. Like get good quality food into the hands of people. Like right. that's actually something we can do. And um, it, yeah. 
it causes like a deeper food connects us like culturally and historically and it mm-hmm. it it brings us together and it heals us and it's this avenue to connect and create community and i think like that's what makes it all like the foundation of nutrition is is a huge deal in itself just like you described but it's it's also this like beautiful connection and healer mm-hmm. and this this mechanism to bring people together and i think that can be just as powerful. And so the two together is just this, it's a magical experience. When we did, we had a graduation ceremony for our first cohort and I had the farmers get up and talk and then I had the patients get up and talk. And it was like, and we had catered food, but it was sourced from our farmers. So it was like, amazing. somehow these light bulbs started popping off and I thought, oh man, I need to be connecting the patients with the farmers like way more. But it just was, it was the most beautiful experience of my life to watch people get it and to connect it and to understand like this, a family worked hard and risked everything to grow this food uh, so I could help and improve my health. And now my health is revolutionized and my kids are watching it. My grandkids are watching it. And it took Mm -hmm. a village of organizations to support the infrastructure and logistics of this program. And so having them all there like it took us all to make it happen. Um, and and the participants chose to do it. They chose to do the work. We just gave them the keys. We showed them where the door was and they they had to walk through. And so it is a beautiful, beautiful process. That's amazing. I This is such a cool project. I'm excited to be able to share about it. <laughs> you know, just Thank you. To people who aren't in Oklahoma and not in Tulsa and don't know that this kind of amazing stuff is happening. And I mean, I, Ed and I here, we're in Idaho. So I, you know, I feel like often like we fly over states get kind of overlooked for some of our really cool innovation and things that are happening that are really uh, incredible and impact our communities and our planet. And here we are out in the kind of middle of the, of the country and doing really amazing stuff. So I'm, very honored to tell this story and I can't wait to get this published so we can get people excited about what you're doing. So speaking of that, how, how do people reach out to you? Like how, how does our listener learn more and connect with you and connect with your organizations that you're working with? Sure. We are all over social media. So FreshRx <laughs> Oklahoma or FreshRx OK is our Instagram ha- handle. You can also go to freshrxok.org. You can find out about our farmers, our partnered agencies. You can, people can even apply right there to participate in the program if they're local. People can apply to volunteer. They can even apply to buy from us. So we have buyers that come in and buy from us too. But if you're not local, uh, that's just a way to find out more about us. I also have a YouTube channel called Conscious Aging Solutions where I interview people uh, who are really making a huge impact and also uh, talk about my work there. So that's a way that you can listen to talks that I've given and really mm-hmm. engage with other people that are aligned with this mission. And if you want to know more just about me and all the work that I do, you can go to ConsciousAgingSolutions.com. And of course, cool. I'm all over social media too. Just Aaron Martin, you can find me. Google me, you'll see lots of information. Nice. Well, I am so appreciative that you took the time to come onto the show today and tell us all about your work. And um, do you guys ever license this or like share your this program with other areas that are like, hey, you know, we're a 
you know, a health district and a conservation district. And maybe together we can do something similar to what Fresh X Oklahoma is doing. Do you guys have like an education bundle for other entities that want to copycat you guys in a really fantastic way? Absolutely. We can absolutely equip communities to do this and train people. And we would do kind of a project-based uh, consultation for that. And we have had other communities reach out. Kansas has reached out. Mississippi's reached out. North Carolina's reached out. And so it just, cool. depending on what your needs are, we can do any kind of just, if it, you just need a couple hours session, we can do that to really building, helping you build out the infrastructure to do that. And we are happy to do that. Even travel to do that and create those cohorts of farmers and help you access uh, those things. So anything from zero to 10, we're, we're able to do. We want those communities to be equipped and we want it to continue. And we really want to build the regional system as well. And so uh, we mm -hmm. feel like if you enact these programs in other communities where we can link up and create a regional system um, as yeah. a byproduct that we're really interested in, in supporting. Yeah. That. That's super cool. Um, yeah, this, this makes me really excited to, for the rest of the week. So thanks so much, Aaron. And I am just glad that you took time to join us. And it, again, if you like this, um, segment, please take a moment to re write a review. If you're watching on a podcast or listening on a podcast server that allows you to, and definitely share with your friends, because that's how we're going to get the word out about what we're doing and about how we can design a better regenerative planet for ourselves in the future. So thanks so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us on the Regenerative by Design podcast. If you would like to learn more about the principles of regenerative food systems and agriculture, please see the show notes for links to education, a glossary, and guest information. This podcast was brought to you by Snacktivist Inc., a leader in the regenerative food industry. We create delicious foods from regenerative ingredients that are soil-focused, minimize water use, and maximize carbon sequestration, all while radically impacting human nutrition. Learn more about our work at snacktivistfoods.com.